I'm Bernie Crane. I'm John Crane. You're listening to the Jazz Session with Jason Crane, our dad. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is episode 378, and the first episode from the Jazz or Bus Tour. It's finally happening. I'm on the road. As I'm recording this, I'm in Wilmington, Delaware. As you're hearing it, I'm in State College, Pennsylvania. And uh, as you can hear by my voice, possibly, I'm recording this a little bit early in the morning after not having spoken too much yet before I go and hop on that bus that's going to take me to State College. The tour has begun. I started in uh, New York City on Friday and came down to Wilmington, and uh, it's been fantastic. I interviewed Judith Kay, who you're about to hear in a few minutes, and uh, have just had a great time hanging out with two of my friends who uh, play in a fantastic band called Hot Breakfast. And uh, if you check my tour diaries at jasoncrane.org, you'll find links to their site. And please do check them out. And they uh, they tour pretty extensively. So if they come to your area or if you come to their area, make sure you go check them out live. So it's exciting. I, you know, who knows? Three weeks ago, I didn't even know I was going to be doing this. And now I'm actually out on the tour. You can follow my exploits and tour diaries at jasoncrane.org. You can, of course, hear the shows that I produce on the road at thejazzsession.com. And while you're over at thejazzsession.com, if you visit the Jazz or Bust tour page, which you can reach simply at thejazzsession.com slash tour, you can donate to the tour. There are thank you gifts at all different kinds of levels from postcards from the road to free CDs to copies of my book of poems and T-shirts and all kinds of stuff. So please do go to thejazzsession.com slash tour and support the tour if you can with your one-time donation. You can also, of course, become a member of the Jazz Session. That's a very easy thing to do. And uh, once you do that, you become a recurring member, and it is your recurring memberships that are going to keep me alive out here on the road. So please do that if you can. I also just added to the uh, the tour page the option to uh, buy me books for my Kindle. I'm spending a lot of time on Greyhound buses in the coming months, and uh, all I brought with me was my Kindle. So you can buy books right off my wish list. <laughs> it's it's almost ridiculous to even be saying all these things. Here are all of the ways you can give me money. But anyway, there they are. So if you'd like to do that, please uh, visit thejazzsession.com and kick in a few shekels to keep this tour on the road. So I had my first Greyhound experience. I take the bus all the time, but I don't take the Greyhound bus. I usually take the, the mega bus. The Greyhound was just fine. I did not get eaten or robbed. No one attempted to kill me, so... I think my I'm totally fine with the Greyhound. All of you who are worried, and all of you who are trying to make me worry, more importantly, I feel completely uh, completely safe with the Greyhound, which is good because coming up in a few days, I have a 16-hour Greyhound ride. So uh, from, where's that going to be from? Charlottesville, Virginia to Nashville, Tennessee. I think it's going to take 16 hours. So I'll be doing a lot of reading. 
Here in uh, Wilmington, Delaware, I, I don't think I've ever actually been to Delaware before this weekend, except to drive through it. Um, it's it's very lovely. I'm actually kind of outside of Wilmington just a tad uh, and near this really beautiful artist colony called Arden, which you're going to hear more about in the interview. Uh, it's But it's really, really a gorgeous place. You should come check out Wilmington. It seems very, very lovely. There's a fair amount of music happening here and a lot of theater, all kinds of cool stuff. So put Wilmington on your calendar if you're uh, in the Northeast or if you're coming this way. And meanwhile, let's uh, – is there any other housekeeping? I'm doing this without even my little script that I usually read from so I don't forget to tell you things. Oh, yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane, D as in David. Uh, and if you get the show on iTunes or if you just have iTunes, you can rate and review the show by going to the iTunes store and searching for Jazz Session. You can give it a star rating between one and four, I think, and you can also write a small review. And if you do that, it just helps the show go up in the rankings and it makes it more likely that other people who are browsing for this kind of thing in iTunes, both of them, will be able to find it. I think I covered everything else, right? Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music. Thanks to Dave Rabel for the logo. You can find the former online at respectsextet.com and the latter at twitter.com slash Dave Rabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. And now I think we truly are ready for the interview. This has been a completely scattershot first road episode of the Jazz Session. Almost enough that I would go back and do it again, except I have to pack. Judith Kay is a guitar player and a singer. Uh, and when I was coming to Wilmington and I told my friends that I'm staying with that I was coming here, uh, my friend Jill, uh, who's by the way, Jill Knapp, who sings with the Industrial Jazz Group also, you'll find them in the archives um, at thejazzsession.com. My friend Jill said, well, you need to interview Judith Kay. She's just fantastic. So uh, that was my first interview of the tour. And I took a lovely stroll through Arden over to Judith's house. Um, where she teaches and does a house concert series, uh, and she also, of course, travels around to perform. She's released a bunch of records, and uh, as you'll hear toward the end of the interview, is about to go into the studio to make a new one, but we'll hear uh, from one of her past records called Her Voice, Her Guitar, and uh, this is actually volume two in that series and a tune that I think you'll probably recognize.
My guest is the guitarist and vocalist Judith Kay. It's such a pleasure to, I should say, to have you, but it's a pleasure to be here in your home. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So we are, uh, we're in Wilmington, but even more importantly, we're in a community called Arden. Can you tell me something about this place before we start talking about the music? Yeah, Arden is an artist-founded community. It was started by a sculptor by the name of Frank Stevens and an architect by the name of Will Price. And basically this was all farmland and they purchased, they were able to purchase this land and parcel it out. They uh, created a particular scheme. Uh, They did it in an artistic way so that there would be these lovely areas called greens and all of the lots are different sizes. Uh, the houses are all, were all built at different times, starting going all the way back from 1900. And the homes tend to be um, in the English Tudor style because that was uh, sort of what it was modeled after, it was sort of a, a European-style arts and crafts movement-based uh, community. So, and so, do I understand that the land is actually a land trust, so that you kind of lease the space that your house is on? Is that right? right? Okay. You do not own the land. You lease it on a ninety-nine year renewable lease, and uh, then you you own your house, but you don't own the land. Oh, that's so great. And we have town meeting here. It's it's a bunch of kooky. <laughs> Uh, it, it really was started by a bunch of kooks um, who were back to nature types. Sure. Um, Really, they were hippies before hippies were, you know, existed. (laughs) (laughs) And there still are a lot of Latter-day hippies living here, I'll say that, and I don't think anybody will disagree with me. (laughs) That's fantastic. uh, It's so beautiful. There are a lot of visual artists here. Not not too many musicians, a few, but um, a lot of visual artists in in this community. My height, just average. My weight, just average And my IQ is like you'd estimate Just average But evidently he does not agree Consequently, if I seem at sea It amazes me It simply amazes me What he sees in me Dazzles me Dazes me Let's turn to your to your own music. I'm particularly interested in uh, in hearing how you first became fascinated with Brazilian music, and then how you pursued that fascination, which you really did quite diligently. Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess I I heard the music of Jobim. He's known in Brazil as Tom Jobim. Uh, 
for short, instead of Antonio Carlos Jobim, as <laughs> right. we call him, you know, which takes way too long to say. Uh, I started, you know, I heard his music when it came out at the same time as the Beatles. It was the same year, 1964, was both the Beatles and uh, Bossa Nova invading the United States. And I was taken with it as a teenager. Um, I didn't start to play it until I was, you know, into my 20s, and I was, I was exploring jazz right away, the jazz standards. And I found that this music was very relaxing to me and that it had that effect on my audience when I would play it. So when I first started it, I, I did not speak Portuguese yet, and I learned the words to The Girl from Ipanema phonetically. Wow. Um, didn't have a clue what I, whether I was doing it right or not. And then I was totally embarrassed because when I performed the piece, some Brazilians came up to me and started rattling Portuguese at me, and I was so embarrassed that I didn't really speak that I started studying Portuguese, and then I planned my first trip to Brazil, and one thing led to another. So. Can you talk about what actually uh, going to Brazil, uh, what effect that had on how you interpreted the music and the things that you kind of added into your technical repertoire or your stylistic choices? Hmm. Uh, I guess it just reinforced what I was... Al I was already really studying the music pretty seriously by the time I went down there. I was able to hook up with a wonderful bass player by the name of Adriano Gifoni. And so he gave me a little, uh, some lessons in the history of the music and about the rhythms. I learned a little bit more about the rhythms. It's, it's a deep subject, just like anything else. Once you scratch the surface, there's a huge, uh, vast amount of material underneath. Um, I guess it just reinforced, you know, like I said, everything I was doing. I knew, I knew that I was on the right path. I kind of got some nice um, pats on my back when I was down there, and people, people said, wow, you play and sing like a Brazilian. Where did you learn to do that? And I, I actually don't know where that came from. It just sort of came from within, but I, I was told that many times, that I played and sang like a Brazilian. So I guess in another life, <laughs> <laughs> I was a Brazilian. I don't know. <laughs> Let's go uh, back even a little further, if we can, and just talk about how you began playing the guitar and where your interest in jazz first was kindled. Well, I started playing guitar when I was 11. Um, by the time I was 14, I knew that I wanted to be a full-time musician. I started writing songs when I was 14, and I was taken under the wing of my music teacher at that time in high school who said, okay, if, if you want to be a musician, you better start taking piano lessons right now. <laughs> and so I, I was a late starter on the keyboard, uh, so I started playing piano at 15, and I you know, was kind of struggling to, to get through Chopin pieces and be able to play uh, well enough to pass my piano boards, as they're called, you know, to get into music school. Um, I'm sorry, but I don't know if I exactly answered your question. I'm also interested in kind of where your, your passion for improvised music came about. Right. Well, in my house, uh, since my parents were both big, big band jazz, that's, that was what they grew up on, they had that music playing all the time in my house. So I, I, I did grow up on really fine music playing in the background, um, music of Duke Ellington and, you know, uh, Count Basie, and, and great piano players like Errol Garner and George Shearing. 
Um, my mother had actually been a piano major at Eastman School of Music for one year. And uh, so some, somewhere along the line, I, I really did take to harmony. I would say that my main interest in music is harmony. And I'm really an arranger who happens to play the guitar and sing. My, my prime interest is arranging. So uh, that's the way I view myself. Upatu. The duck was dancing by the water. Quack, quack. Maybe doing things he shouldn't order. Quack, quack. He was dancing to the samba, the samba, the samba. Ugusu. The goose was gaily swimming by. Honk, honk. He paused and gave the dance a try. Honk, honk. The bossa nova had them dancing the new thing, the new swing. The lovely swan swam by in all her majesty. Then she loosened up. A Gucci Gucci went that swan. She joined the duck and goose and did the samba too. You should have seen the kind of samba she could do. They danced the samba so long they all fell in the water while they were singing away. Quack, quack, shudder, honk, honk, shubadaba, honk, honk, upatu. Cantando alegramente Quem, quem? Quando uma sorridente Pediu pra entrar também No samba, no samba, no samba O ganso Gostou da dupla e fez também Quem, quem? Olhou pro cisne e disse assim Talk more about that. Uh, did you study arranging formally? I know you did take some classes with Rayburn Wright at Eastman. Yes, and, and Manny Album, who was my prime mentor. Um... And that was wonderful. Uh, yeah, I, I just I just have always loved, you know, taking music and just messing around with it, you know, and, and trying to, to give it my own unique sound that way. It was really fun to get to write for Big Band, which I did get to do under the tutelage of, of Manny and Rayburn Wright. And that was fun, and I did that for a while. Uh, then I was able to um, use that knowledge to help me write for my own band, which uh, was really only a core group of uh, vibraphone. Uh, Tony Maselli of Philadelphia was my core member, and we had various bass players over the years. Um, but then I would augment that with, uh, with horns and whenever I could. So. And you, uh, I mean, you're also a very skillful arranger for the guitar, and I've seen everything recently up to and including the Chopin that you had to practice so hard to uh, get into music school now arranged. For the guitar, <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> so right. it all it all has come full circle, I guess. Right? Yeah, yeah. I imagine at some point you had to say to your parents, if we can stick in the past for a minute, you know, hey, mom and dad, I'd like to be a professional musician. And I wonder, I mean, that that's always it strikes me as a very difficult conversation to have with the people in your life and say, this is the course I want to pursue. What was that? What was that like for you? You know, my father, who was a chemical engineer and worked for DuPont, just kind of bit his tongue and just sat there and and didn't say anything. And my mom, who was the more, you know, like I said, the more music person in the house, said, said, go to it, girl, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of the way it went. Um, Then I hooked up early on with the man who uh, later became my husband, and that was David McClintock. He died in 2008 so uh, we but we were together for many many years and he was a real jazz buff uh, 
and had had a background of music uh, himself, and but had never gone into music in any uh, professional way. And I think that he, he honestly, and I don't think he would disagree with me, uh, he was sort of living vicariously through me to help me with the music business, which he did uh, nonstop for the whole time we were together. And that really helped. And I always say that there has to be somebody in the background because you cannot survive in this business. It's just too hard. There's got to be somebody rooting for you in the background, even if it's just your mother or grandmother, um, and, and hopefully giving you a lot more help than that because it's, it's just really difficult. Now, you yeah. did, uh, you know, part of what the point of this whole tour is finding people where they are rather than what I had been doing for the last bunch of years, which was mostly talking to folks who were based in New York City. Yeah, that's so neat. And so, I mean, you're based here um, in this artist community and outside the, the larger city of Wilmington, and I'm interested in that choice. I mean, you you've really chosen to kind of stand your ground very close to where you're from. And uh, I, I want to hear about why you chose to do that. You know, I think if you don't dis- make that decision to go to New York by the time you're 30 years old, then just hang it up. Uh, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I always say that to people. You know, if you're going to go to New York and do the New York thing, you, you'd better get there young because then after that you just won't want to uh, make those kinds of sacrifices, to be quite blunt found that I was able to make a pretty good living in this area, performing, um, you know, some silly, stupid gigs, you know, at restaurants and and hotels and things like that, like everybody does, no matter where you are. Um, But then, um, maybe because Delaware is a small state, that also acts as a, was a boon, has been a boon for me. So, uh, what's the word? Big fish in a small pond? Sure. and people learn about you kind of quickly. And I found that I was able to get some nice, you know, concerts. I mean, because I quickly gravitated towards playing concerts rather than background music in restaurants, which became to be a bloody bore after a while. All the clinking glasses and the, and the blender. and right. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I, I, I like to do concerts. So I, I worked hard at uh, performing in the larger Delaware Valley, I would say, between... Uh, you know, Philadelphia and Washington, D.C., there, there were quite a few venues. Arts Council sponsored things, college sponsored things, where people would, you know, sit and listen to you, which was very nice.
you've made quite a number of recordings uh, that combine your own songwriting and also performances of other people's music. And I wonder what speaks to you when you're selecting songs to perform that you don't write. What is it about a about a song that that has to be uh, there for you to choose it? Oh, that's so hard to to uh, to answer in words. Um, and it's interesting that you said that because I I did want to make a point of saying that even though I write my own music and I love writing music. I'm not one of those musicians who feels like I can only perform my own music all the time. I mean, I know plenty of musicians who will only play their own stuff, and that's fine, but um, I get just as much pleasure out of playing other people's material. And again, because of the arrangement side of it, um, I actually go through a process of trying out the song. When I hear a song that I'm attracted to, uh, I write it out, I get, I put it into my key, and then I have to sing through it uh, to see if it, to see if it uh, feels right in my body. <laughs> that might sound kind of strange. Um, but there are songs that I love that, that I can't do, that, I, that when I sing them they sound stupid. Um, then there are other songs that maybe sound stupid when somebody else does it. When I do it, I can make something out of it. And that's a very personal, it's one of those ethereal it, it's one of those it factor things that you can't really describe why. Could it be something as mundane as, well, these lyrics don't really resonate with me, for example, or this is not a story I can authentically tell? Uh, Sometimes it's that. Sometimes it is that, uh, for sure. Yeah, like these words, I just can't pull this off. Right. You know, yeah. Um, no, usually it has to do with uh, uh, something that, that's a little deeper um, in the music that it just, uh, it's, just not, it's just not making it. Maybe I can't get the right chords. Maybe I can't get the arrangement to flow properly. And then I'll either toss it aside and come back to it later or throw it out altogether. It, given your interest in harmony, is reharmonization something that appeals to you, particularly when arranging? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love, I love to reharmonize. Yeah, that's that's my big joy, my big joy. But I don't like to mess with the melody. Mm. Too. I, I'm real. Um, I'm a purist when it comes to the first time through. A singer should always sing the melody exactly correctly, the way the composer wrote it. If you want to change a few notes later. That's okay, but the first time through, absolutely, you cannot change that melody. And I found that there are a lot of songs out there that are, have been sung incorrectly. Um, one of them is Lush Life by Billy Strayhorn. You will rarely hear a correct version of that song, and I won't name any names. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I believe Blossom Deary sings it correctly, if you listen to her rendition of it. Um, I just learned a song the other day that goes back to the 30s. That's Brother, Can You Spare a Dime? And again, when I listened to versions of that, they were messing up the melody over and over again. So I really worked hard to sing it correctly. And, why is that important to you? Why, why do you think it's kind of so sacrosanct that first time through to have the melody exactly as it was written? Uh, well, I mean, if you wrote the song, wouldn't you want, you know... You know, wouldn't you want somebody to... I don't know. Uh, yeah. Particularly if I wrote it... I guess it depends on what I wrote it for, and I'm not speaking as a songwriter. But just knowing that, uh, you know, a lot of things are written as vehicles to be improvised on, uh, I wonder how much freedom some composers intend. I mean, obviously, Tin Pan Alley tunes, they didn't yeah, intend the for them to then be played by you know, John right. Coltrane 20 the years later. Tin Pan but. Alley tunes, which is 
mostly what I'm doing. That's mostly my era. That uh, those guys were real purists, and, and they wanted their things done exactly right. So it's not the same as a blues, where I think you're right. In a blues composition, there's there's a lot of open feeling to that and places where you can mess with it and, and nobody's going to get upset about it. Uh, but yeah, in these, in these great American popular songs, I, I really think uh, Frank Lesser and Irving Berlin and Jerome Kern, they wanted it exactly the way they wrote it. <laughs> and they're rolling in their graves right now. You know, it's all the, the wrong notes that are out there. <laughs> I am not such a clever one about the latest fads And I admit I was never one Adored by local lads Not that I ever try to be a saint I'm the type that they classify as quaint. I'm old-fashioned. I love the moonlight. I love the old-fashioned things. The sound of rain upon my window pane. The starry song that April sings. Now this year's fancies are passing. Can you talk about about teaching and and what you see in kind of the current generation of of up and coming younger players? What what speaks to them in this music and, and what you focus on when you're, when you're teaching students to kind of start tackling this repertoire, which is in many cases now 80 years or 70 years or 60 years prior to their birth. Yes, even. exactly. It is. And the sad part, I'm sorry to sound, uh, I don't want to sound pessimistic, um, but it's true. And that is that when the young people come to me uh, for lessons, they have no background in this music, not, none whatsoever. Uh, and it's very sad. So I make them do a lot of listening and thank heavens. Now, here's a good technological advancement, Pandora Radio. That's fantastic because the ability that I can now say, okay, now just, just plug in this person's name and, and go listen and just listen for half an hour and, and write down what you liked and, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, I used to send them to the library and just tell them to get out CDs, you know, get out Duke Ellington CDs and listen to them. But uh, um, I'm struggling with this, this what you're talking about. It's, it takes me a while. Usually I, I kind of help them do the music that they want to play for a while, and then I kind of ooze my way into getting them to hear some jazz along the way, and, and then we, we might get there. Eventually, are students coming to you uh, particularly for lessons in jazz guitar, or just for lo- uh, the kind of broader guitar period? Yeah, you know, most of my students are adults, and mm. the thing that I'm good at is helping them do what they want to do on the guitar. Sure. So, no, they're not coming to me specifically for jazz guitar. 
Um, I have a few, of course, who seek me out for that. And that's fun. I love it. But I found that I have enjoyed working with all kinds of people from all walks of life, um, you know, doctors, lawyers, um, teachers, you know, whatever. Um, and I like to encourage them to sing. I think that's important. Some of them come into me and they say, I don't sing. I can't sing. And I virtually always get them singing. I get them singing, and I get them enjoying singing. What, what does that, why does that help, or why is that important? We're very uptight about singing in sure. the United States. Have you noticed? <laughs> I, uh, I definitely yeah, have, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we have a problem. We have a problem here about singing. And I'm not sure why. I, I, I am interested in psychology, and I would like to study that at some point. Uh, but, uh, for instance, when I went to Brazil, everybody sings. Everybody plays guitar. The kids on the street play play guitar and they play jazz chords. They don't just play C, G, and, and F. They play some, some jazz chords. They all play percussion. And when they get together as a group at a party, they are all singing and playing instruments. And here, oh my gosh, you know, try to get people to sing. Try to get people to sing or dance at a party and, uh, you know, it, it's usually a disaster. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I think that uh, singing is, is a wonderful release. It's actually good for you. The sending the vibrations through your body is, is a healthy thing to do. And I like to hear people express themselves that way and find themselves that way through their voice. And they don't have to sound like Frank Sinatra. You know, they can just sing and enjoy it and you know, usually it works out. You've done quite a bit of, of solo performance where it's just you and the guitar and your voice on stage, and I wonder uh, what that's like when everything that happens on stage has to come out of you. It's actually the easiest way for me to perform um, because I don't have to worry about the other musicians. Uh, I know that sounds something or other, but uh, I have found that to count on just me over the years has been the easiest thing for me to do. Now, do I enjoy playing with the other guys? Yeah. It's really fun to have that extra 
input. Um, what I'm doing now with my house concert series um, is, is um, it's called Arden Soiree, is it's duo guitar, and, and that's working out very nicely. So I have, you know, um, I'm pretty much still doing my thing, but, but then I have this, this improviser, somebody who's really good at improvising uh, the way I never will be, and they can augment and add, you know, that extra touch to my music, which is very nice. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable uh, doing the solo thing. I love it. I know that uh, you're uh, particularly concerned about and interested in repetitive stress injury and the effect that that has on guitarists. I wonder if you could say a few words about that. Yes, right. Well, I'm, uh, I've come out of the closet, and uh, I'm happy to talk about it. I, I've been afflicted with this condition since, well, it really hit me hard in 1992. And, uh, you know, it, it, there are thousands of musicians all over our country that have this, that have a, a form of repetitive strain injury, which is, there are many, many conditions under that, that, you know, whether it be carpal tunnel or thoracic outlet syndrome or, you know, decor veins, it goes on and on and on, you know, basically different kinds of tendonitis, for lack of a better uh, description. I want people to start talking about it because we need to prevent it. It's totally preventable. And the sad thing is that musicians, they're not taught that we are sit-down athletes. We are asking incredible things of our bodies, and particularly our appendages and our hands, our fingers, for hours on end to do these, these incredible uh, gymnastic feats, and then doesn't it make sense that we should be treating ourselves as athletes, and we should be conditioning ourselves and doing exercises, and you know, working out to make just like a marathon runner? Uh, but no, see, nobody nobody uh, recognizes that, and it's not being taught in the colleges, and it needs to go into Peabody and uh, Hart College of Music and Temple University, and they need to start teaching the students that they've got to treat themselves as athletes. So uh, it's, it's an area that's only the surface is being scratched, um, but I want to start talking about it because I think people need to be comfortable talking about the fact that, yes, I have this injury. Yeah, it's a drag. Sometimes I can't play for long periods of time, um, but I know I'm going to come back, um, and people need help. They need encouragement that they, they can come back. And are there things that you've adjusted technically to to prevent 
this condition from worsening, for example? Are there ways that you realized, oh, I should be playing the guitar this way, or I should be sitting this way to to stop these things from happening? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, you'll see uh, on the videos on my website that I always stand with the guitar now. I use a guitar stand. There it is. I've used that since 1997, and that's been a great boon. Um, I also have to be on a daily exercise regimen that is crucial. I mean, I, if I have to work out every day, um, and I have to log. Um, I have to keep track of how long I play. I can only play for a certain amount of time. So I, I literally put a timer on when I play, and bing, when it goes off, I have to stop. But I, I'm able to play that way, and I'm, I'm grateful. Believe me, I don't take it for granted. I do not take it for granted that I can play right now. And uh, I plan to go in the recording studio this summer while I can, while I'm still playing. And I haven't recorded in 10 years, so um, I'm overdue. Are you assembling the repertoire now for that recording? I am, and I'm having so much fun doing it. I think I have about 50 songs on the list. I've got to pare it down. <laughs> Either that or it's going to be a, a four-record set, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, are there, uh, you mentioned the house concert series. Do you want to say more about that in terms of uh, specific dates that are coming up or uh, other events in your calendar that are coming up? Well, uh, Arden Soiree just started this past spring. There will be dates, specific dates, by uh, the fall. There is a website called ardensoiree.com, and that's A-R-D-E-N-S, like Sam, O-I-R-E-E. Dot com. So if you go there now, it's it's going to have old stuff on it. It hasn't been uh, updated yet. But that's a neat thing that I, I'm very excited about. You know, the house concert thing has been going on in the folk world for years. In the folk world, they've been doing this. It's, you know, it's de rigueur. And it's neat. Uh, now, the way they do it, you know, is some folk buff will offer their house and and then everybody brings a plate of food and then they throw 10 bucks in the pot for, and then the musician gets all the money and that's very neat and there's usually a soloist playing so I wanted to do this for jazz but the problem is most jazz groups are quartets aren't they so well by the time you have that many people with their hand in the in that little pot it's not going to be enough money so, um, like I said, I trimmed it down to just just a duo, and I'm, I'm thinking of it as a guitar room kind of experience. And I'm finding uh, the other component that I've added to this is starting in the fall, there's going to be a fundraising aspect where I'm going to partner with nonprofits in the area that I care about so that I make some money, they make some money. And uh, the, I've already I've lined up uh, I don't have the dates exactly yet, but I, I'm going to be doing a fundraiser for NAMI, which is the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill in Delaware. I'm going to be doing one for Planned Parenthood. I'm going to be doing one for uh, West End neighbor ho- Neighborhood House and uh, one for... Uh, there's another one, but I'll remember it later. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, there's been a lot of interest, and I'm very excited about that part of it. So, so it's, it's a win-win situation. So it's a small, intimate venue where people get to hear music in a very intimate way, 
uh, I get to play. I actually get paid more than and I, instead of a tip jar in a restaurant, which is all you can do these days. And then I'm helping to make some money for an organization that I care about. So, Oh, that's fantastic. It's pretty neat. Using your powers <laughs> um, for good. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, and sort of creative thinking because these in these miserable times um, for musicians out there uh, where there are less and less venues for us, we do have to start to be really creative in our thinking about where we're going to perform. So if it's, in, it's if, if it's in a living room, that's okay with me. Yeah. My guest is the guitarist and vocalist Judith Kay. It's been so great to meet you, and thank you for having me in your home. It's a great first start to the tour. Thank you, Jason. You, you are a real trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in the literal sense yeah. of that word, yeah. <laughs> the post I lie in my room staring up at the ceiling spring can really hang you up the music from Judith Kay, who is based in uh, the community of Arden. This is the jazz session on the road, the Jazzer bus tour, motoring on now uh, as I'm listening or as I'm recording this and as you're listening, it's already happened to uh, State College, Pennsylvania, where I'll be interviewing a cellist friend of mine and then heading to Shepherdstown, West Virginia, where on June 6th in nearby Martinsburg, West Virginia, I'll be doing a poetry reading at Good Natured at uh, 6 p.m. And then it is on to Washington, D.C. for a few days, and then Richmond, Virginia, and I'm doing a poetry reading there on the 12th at Chop Suey Books, and then Charlottesville, Virginia, and then Nashville, Tennessee, where I'm doing a reading on the 17th at uh, their local jazz workshop. You'll find all of that information at jasoncrane.org, and you'll also find my tour diaries there and photos and all kinds of stuff from the tour. And then, of course, thejazzsession.com is where you'll find all the shows. 
This is The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The show is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. And by you, if you like, go to thejazzsession.com slash join to become a member. If you become a member at the highest level, your name gets read out just like those three at the top and the bottom of every show. You can also make a one-time donation to the tour at thejazzsession.com slash tour. And then forget about all that and get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. <laughs>